Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast. Here's your host, Chris Lee. Commodore fans, on your feet, it's time to anchor down. Welcome to the Vandy Sports Podcast presented by Dr. Jody Jones DDS. We're part of the 440 Sports Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. Our guest today, Luke Wyatt, he will talk about Vanderbilt's 55-0 loss to Georgia and put that in some historical perspective. Of course, Luke worked at Vanderbilt for about 45 years, knows that football program backwards and forwards, and I think today's conversation will be an interesting one. Luke Wyatt appears on our guest line. That is presented by Michael Kendrick of the Kendrick Group. Michael is a local carpenter and lifelong Vandy fan. He builds bookshelves, cabinets, picture frames, furniture, and made-to-order items, including a display case for my prize Dale Murphy jersey. I've seen Michael's work. He's a true craftsman. If you're in the market for custom woodwork, give Michael a call at 615-830-9458. Now on to our conversation with Luke. Luke Wyatt joins us on a Monday morning. Luke, frankly, the perfect person to join us today. Luke worked at Vanderbilt full or part-time from 1974 to 2018. He has seen the gamut of the best of Vanderbilt football and certainly the worst of it. Luke, thanks for joining us today after what was a very long weekend for Vanderbilt and Athens, losing 55 to nothing. Um, I think the fan base right now is goodness it, it there's you never say it's the lowest it has been because I mean I've, I've seen it lower within the last couple of years but certainly I don't think demoralizing does it justice what the last three games have have done to this team right um you know Chris it's the um cumulative effect of the three too I, and I don't say and again I'm not trying to say poor pitiful Vanderbilt but I don't know of any school, and I, I think back many years, that have done what we've had to do and play those three teams consecutively uh, to all top ten teams. Uh, and it's a time two number ones. I mean, that's just ridiculous. And of all the teams in the Southeastern Conference, we're the last team that needs to be having to do that. Now, how that schedule fell is just uh, bad luck again. Uh, I, I don't know, but it's the cumulative effect. I think that's what you saw in the fourth quarter Saturday. Uh, was they were done. Uh, they were cooked. And I know Clark doesn't want to hear that. And, uh, he, he hates it, but um, it, it wears it wear on any human being. It really would. And we, especially when basically it's amateurs against pros at some point in, those, uh, in two of those three contests anyway, in my opinion. You say we're done. Do you think that team quit late? I'll be honest, I quit late. I, I was watching Tennessee-Alabama, which was a fascinating game. Uh, I've got an SEC channel that I run uh, to be able to make enough to do this. Um, so before anybody judges me on that, that's just my life these days. But w- when you're watching that, are you seeing a team that just threw in the towel at the end? Because I didn't think the effort from what I did see was was what it maybe could have been. The, the word quit? I hate to use that because that's pretty harsh. I don't know that it's quit as much as it is demoralized. I think that's that's something that, and again, I know Clark didn't want to hear it, but that's that's it. When you have kids that for three straight weeks 
they, you know, football, and, and I said this to Clark, football is a tough sport to play without the reward of winning. And I know they've won three games, but they realize they're in the SEC. They're no dummies. And they realize, okay, this is the level we have to get to to compete for a championship. And they see the gulf in there and how far it is. Um, that can be tough on kids, you know, and I, kids are resilient. I don't worry about the hangover for the future. And even this weekend, I don't, but I do, I do think that it, it, the kids were demoralized, not necessarily that they quit, but that they were demoralized. That's the way I'd like to describe it. Well, this is a reality check here. Missouri, I think in most people's opinion, certainly in mine, the 13th, best team in the SEC. In other words, the, the next to worst, Vanderbilt, of course, would be everybody's pick for the worst team right now. The line on that right. one right now, 14 and a half game, uh, 14 and a half points. Now, look, if you want to nitpick a little bit, you usually get three points for being the home team. So that means Vegas thinks that Missouri's about 11 and a half better. But, I mean, you talk about the gulf between them and the top. That, that That's a – pretty wide gulf between them and everybody else right now. And I, I think that's the part that's probably as disheartening as the rest of it. Right. I, you know, I look at it this way, too. All right, let's go back for just a second to the Georgia. And, you know, you can always make comparison and score comparisons. And, and, and something I look at, and I know Georgia and Missouri was actually a good football game, and Missouri led for a lot of it. But every Saturday is different. The kids react different. Uh, it just I, I, that's the one thing being on the sideline and being involved for forty years that I that I realized a lot of times, and, and I, I can't exactly put my finger on it, but you can tell in pregame how we're going, how you're going to play, not necessarily what the score is going to be and if you're win or lose, but how you're going to approach the football game. And I think that happens with these kids. I mean, look, Georgia. Beat a Hawaii, I mean, a Oregon team by what, 45 to 50, almost as much as they beat us. 49 to 3. And they're sitting there in the top 10. They beat them by 46 points, beat us by 55. So or does that mean we're nine points, you know, less than Oregon? No, of course it doesn't. So I don't, I don't know that by making a Vegas line, what Vegas wants is for half the people to bet on Missouri and half to bet on Vanderbilt. So, Last year's final score, I think we lost by nine points and had a chance to win it in the fourth quarter. Uh, I look at it more like that. I think that's the type of game it should be. Um, whether it will or not, we'll, we'll find out. But I, I don't pay much mind to the Vegas lines. It's just like Tennessee being a nine-point underdog to Alabama Saturday was ridiculous. Um, th- th- there was no way it was a nine-point game either way, I didn't think. Here's what I don't get. I know it's not linear. I know at some point when you run up against better athletes, there's just a you can't do this. But like I watched Akron in Georgia, right? Um, or was it? No, I'm sorry. It was was it Kent State? It was Kent yeah. State. Excuse me. Wrong wrong Mac team. Yeah, it was like 17 points, 39 to 22. Yeah, and it was a, it was anybody's game early in the fourth quarter, and, and Akron just kind of or excuse me, Kent State, just kind of, I thought, took it to Georgia and and wasn't intimidated and looked like it could score, and it did. And, you know, Vanderbilt has now lost, what, 55-0 and 62-0 or whatever it was last year to Georgia, 55-3 to 
to Alabama. I, I just don't understand why I'm not expecting them to to win those games, but you know, can, can he not get within 30? Is that out of the question? I don't understand just the complete and utter like look, they beat Hawaii 63-10. I know it's a totally different game, but how I mean point is, you know, they they scored some at Northern Illinois. Again, not the same, but that's a Mac team that's not far off from what Kent State is probably. I, I do not understand the complete disconnect between performance other places and the, the complete inability to – I mean, what, they didn't have a first down in the second half till midway through the fourth quarter. The, just the complete ineptitude as it translates. Like, th- th- there should have been a little more resistance, I thought – against Georgia and Alabama, and, and you saw the same thing a year ago. Well, uh, again, I go back to the cumulative effect of playing the three games in a row. I don't think it's necessarily Georgia. If you play Georgia uh, in the middle of uh, – after an off week and play them in the middle of after you played Northern Illinois, I don't think it would have been 55 to nothing. In fact, Saturday, if you look, we left at least 10 points on the field, possibly 17, with the drop pass by Shepard the missed field go by Bullivus, uh, and then there was an, uh, the fumble by McGowan. At Vanderbilt, when you do those things against anybody, you usually lose. So when you do them against the number one team in America, you're going to it's you're gonna have what you have. Now, I can remember the Peach Bowl team, and a lot of people on here may not, but some of your uh, elder people like myself can remember they got beat 41 nothing to Georgia, and it could have been a lot worse. They got beat. Same type of Alabama that year, but yeah, they wind up winning seven games and going to the Peach Bowl. So I don't I, scores don't mean that much to me. It's how they play and how what you're saying. How can it be so pitiful where you just hand the ball off and you can't? It's like running to a, a stone wall. You get nothing in the run game, uh, the pass game. You don't even attempt to do some things. This being the third game of those, I felt like this one was going to be the worst. I really did going in. It did. This one didn't surprise me. I was more uh, upset after the Alabama game, I think, with the way they played than anything because it was the first one. Yeah, and I feel like that expectation was kind of built in. But at the right. same time, like you watch it, and I understand why people are upset. Oh, I do too. Trust me. I'm upset. It's it's sickening and it's heart it's heart wrenching. But I, and here's the here's the double edged sword too. Vandy pretty much has a lot of smart kids. Okay, they're not stupid. They know when they play Alabama. My goodness, we've got to be perfect. We've got to be perfect just to have a chance to stay within two or three touchdowns. That's where the program is right now. I, and and not to beat on Derek Mason, but I got to tell you, I've been at Vandy a long, long time. This is lower than the lowest point I saw it before, and the lowest ebb I saw before was 76 through 81 when we lost 30, uh, either 30 or 32 straight conference games. This is where the program was when Clark took it over. And to get that to turn around in today's culture, and today, or it's not culture, excuse me, today's environment with the NIL and stuff, this is a massive job, folks, for anybody. And I would ask you this, uh, Chris, and ask our fans this and the people on the board, who do you think, if you could pull a coach right now and say, okay, I want this to be our coach tomorrow. Let's just say, uh, let's take um, Heifel at Tennessee. 
Okay, he's this offensive guru. Do you think he could put up points against Georgia with our players right now? <sighs> I think he could put up more than zero, but <laughs> we can we can say that. But at the same time, if if you're here and you've gone through two other weeks of this, and you go to a third week of it, and it's and you know, and and I know how kids think because I talked to these kids over the years. They'd come into the equipment room and we're getting ready to head to Georgia and we just lost three in a row or whoever it may be at the time. And part of my role as a was kind of like they, my name at Vanderbilt was Uncle Luke. So they'd come to me for solace or just to, you know, get picked up maybe sometime. And I'd tell them, like, guys, they put on their pants just like you, two, you do. They may be faster, but, hey, if they fumble today, if they're not ready to play and you go out there and give your best effort, you don't know what's going to happen. You know, I've seen games where teams turn it over seven times. But these kids are smart, and they realize what they're up against. And I, again, go back to this. I feel like game three of this, the Georgia game, was going to be the worst. And I think it was. Is there any getting morale back for the rest of the season after this? Well, that's my that's my big concern. You know, I feel good about this weekend. I really do. I think that, that, that Missouri, yeah, of course, they're – Obviously, everyone thinks they're a lot better than us because they stayed with Georgia. I have realized that comparing scores means absolutely nothing most of the time. But I will tell you this. <clears throat> there is games, and, and, I, and I said this to Clark after the game. I texted this to Clark. I said, you've got to flush it. The kids have to flush it because y'all have games in front of you that are winnable and that you can get to the fourth quarter and have a chance to win. Whether they win them or not, I don't know but they have an opportunity to do that. That's where the program is right now. We're in year two. Clark's been there a little over a year, <clears throat> started with absolutely nothing. In my opinion, the worst roster, and I don't mean this against the kids. It's not their fault. But the worst roster in Vanderbilt football history was last year to start that season, and at least in the 50 years that I've known Vanderbilt football. So that's where you're starting from. And we've had a lot of low ebbs, as you know. I can remember losing to Kentucky 53 to 2. A mediocre Kentucky team 53 to 2. So <clears throat> it's not the scores don't bother me as much as yes, can we turn this around, give a max effort at Missouri, cut out all, all the mistakes. I think so because I think the kids think in their mind we can play with Missouri. A couple of things here. You mentioned that the players on this team are smart, and I agree. That seems to me, Luke, almost like a curse in a spot like this because, like you said, they're they're not dumb. They understand the talent gap. They understand what getting beat by 50-something points means. Uh, The defense can certainly see the scoreboard. Is being smart an obstacle in this case, and how do you get around that? No, I agree with you, Chris. I think it can be an obstacle. That's the reason why that's Clark's job and those coaches' jobs to make sure they understand it's a totally different different animal we're playing this weekend. We can do better. We can do a heck of a lot better than what we've done, and they do know that too. They also know that Georgia may be 55 points better than them, but if we'd have executed in the first half those three plays that I've made mention of, that game wouldn't have been 55 to nothing. There'd probably been 48 to 17. You still lost. It doesn't matter. 
but it feels a lot better to you. And of course, listen, I know how our fans feel. The ones that are left, I, I was so happy and excited that the crowd at the Ole Miss game, I felt like our crowd for the first time had more than the other conference team. And that was exciting. And we played a great first half. Those first halves have to be stacked together. And that's the next challenge for Clark is stacking good play on top of good play. It, right now it's too spotty. And part of that is because of talent. I mean, and I don't know how you fix that except continually playing. Okay, Luke, you mentioned last year being the worst roster you've ever seen with associated with Vanderbilt football. I, I think I don't quite go back as far as you do, but I would agree with that. And I, I do think to some extent you have to stop giving everybody that crutch. Um, I, I don't like their defensive schemes at all, and that's a topic I'm sure we'll get into later. And I think that has some effect on things. But, yes, the roster pool was not good. That was beyond his control. You cannot get a quick fix in the transfer market. At Vanderbilt, you can get some holes plugged, but just with the restrictions and things, there's just going to be some things that you can do at other schools you can't do at Vanderbilt, and that has nothing to do with him. With that, I want to backtrack a little bit. You were there under Derek Mason I, from the stuff I was hearing almost immediately, like the, I'm just thinking there's no way this can work. I know they knew some of that stuff too, because I, I I would talk to people at times and go, okay, what this is going on, that's going on. How is a guy going to win if he's that incompetent? And, and they whistled past the graveyard for seven years and, and they reaped the benefit of it. When did you know? But anyway, when when did you know that wasn't going to work and why did they just sit in that mess for so long. This season of the Vandy Sports Podcast has been made possible by my friend, Dr. Jody Jones, DDS. When it comes to general or cosmetic dentistry services, Jody is the best in Nashville. Just check out his client list. It testifies to that. He sees movie stars, music stars, athletes, coaches, you name it. Jody is the dentist of choice for stars in Nashville, but he sees regular folks like you and I as well. What people love about Jody's office is the ambiance. It's relaxing. It's friendly. Someone described it to me as a tooth spa. Whether your needs are general or cosmetic, go see Jody today. Call him 615-270-2322. See him at 55 Music Square East, not far from downtown or the Vanderbilt campus. Jody is a former Vanderbilt football player and a huge Commodore booster, so go and talk Vandy sports with him while you're there. Go see Jody Jones today. Thank him for his support of this podcast because without it, this season would not be possible. That, that's the that's the thing. You know, we talk about good hires and bad hires, uh, and we can get to this later on. I think I saw a question in the mailbag about James Franklin. Um, obviously, James won nine games, two of his three years there, and went to bowl all three. When Derek Mason was hired, I didn't think it was that bad of a hire. I didn't know Derek. I, I didn't know someone at Stanford and talked to him about Derek, and all they said was he's a good man. So that doesn't tell you anything either about his football prowess. Um, I think Derek at the time, I, of course, everyone after the Temple game, everyone was like, oh, my gosh, what have we done? But then people have to remember, and, and, and I don't care about who's down and all that. If you want to say that, you can say that all day. But Derek did something nobody else did beat Tennessee three years in a row. That's one reason he stayed there. Now, 
I will tell you, I think he had one of the top three offensive coordinators that I've seen at Vanderbilt in Coach Ludwig. I will tell you that. And that had a whole lot to do with it. And you had a guy uh, in Kyle Shermer who absolutely owned Tennessee and was a very, very, very good quarterback. Had he been at a place like a Georgia or Alabama, he's a national championship type quarterback. That's how good he was, I thought. So for the first three or four years, I get why Derek Mason kept his job. But when you realize that he had, quote, and I, maybe I'm wording this wrong, but I'll go ahead and say it. But say, and I, you've heard me say this before. He was listening to the wrong people or person for his being his advice on everything. And you can't do that. I don't care who you are. If you think Nick Saban listens to anybody else, you're, you're nuts. And when that happened, we started doing things recruiting-wise that was ill-advised. We started doing things with the kids. The way they ignored former players, didn't want them around, was absolutely ludicrous. And it makes me sick. And that's why Clark is trying his best to fix all of that. When you have to fix all of that, as well as try to win football games, that's a mammoth undertaking and it's going to take a little time and i know everybody hates to hear that that phrase it's going to take a little time but i felt like to get back to answering your question i felt like after that 2017 season no 18 season when we beat tennessee you could see it even though we beat tennessee at the end i felt between 18 and 19 we weren't it was getting it was not going to be good for the future Okay, can you elaborate on some of that, like where who he was listening to and those sorts of things? I, I think I probably have some idea, but but maybe not all of it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Jason Grooms was his operations person, and in my opinion, Jason was running the program. You, if if I was in the media and I wanted an answer to anything, I would have gone to Jason Grooms. He knew more about what was going on than Derek did. And uh, I know that sounds brutal, and I'm sure Derek would hate me for saying that. But it, it is what it is. After he had been there a few years, and this happens to a lot of coaches at, at Vanderbilt, they say, my goodness, okay, I think I've hit my high water mark. I got to listen to somebody else to try to figure out how to get to another level. We got to a bowl game, got to the Texas Bowl, got the Independence Bowl. That's about what, all I can get out of Vanderbilt. So now what can we do different? So you start all these wild-looking uniforms, you do all this stuff with players that mental games you're playing with them you know it was just not i don't want to be specific on kids names i'm not going to do that but i just felt like jason grooms was running the show and, and uh, Derek was his puppet i don't want to get too far off in the weeds here but what i heard and i don't know exactly who to believe and, and you were gone at the time but you were connected i've heard grooms was the one that was the mastermind behind sarah fuller Sarah Fuller, excuse me. Uh, I heard the same thing. Because I asked everybody I knew and trusted, and I heard the same thing. They were looking for anything. His quote was, and he would tell you this probably today still maybe, any publicity at this time is good publicity, which is asinine. I mean, yeah, that's that's where we were. We were, at, we were at the bottom of the barrel. We were at dregs. But the, but the main thing that I have concern with, not so much the Sarah Fuller thing, was how we were taking other kids from other schools. And basically, you're just inheriting other kids' problems, uh, other teams' problems. You were cherry-picking kids that 
were cancers on other teams and bringing them into your locker room. And it, it doesn't work in a place like Vanderbilt. Where did that call come from? That's the grooms tell he makes, and that's the route we should okay. take to get to, instead of being five and seven and six and six. That's that's what we got to do to get to be winners. Yeah, which was which which is how you get Alex Stump and Alex Williams and and a lot of those kids, I guess. Got it. You got it. Yeah. Okay. Let let me get us back on the here and now. Any other thoughts on on kind of Saturday and, and the last three weeks before we go to the mailbag? I mean, I, I've got a lot of things I'm I'm thinking, a lot of things I can say, but I really want to let you do most of the talking today because I think there's probably not a person in the world that's more suited to assess where they are and what they've been through and, and history and everything and how that all ties together than you. So what have we missed so far that we need to get into? If I had, if I wanted to be a fly on the wall and I said I want to gauge the temperature of where we're at now, I would love to be over there for the very next practice, which I don't know if that was yesterday or today or tomorrow for for Missouri. Because you can gauge the temperature by the body language of the kids when they walk out of the locker room. Are they taking their time buckling their pads? Are they got their heads down, sliding their helmets on slowly, or are they popping their helmets on and got a little pep in their step and walking out? Honestly, you can tell by that. I know it sounds silly, and here's where that comes from, guys. I was an equipment manager for all the years except for my final five years when I was more in an administrative role with all sports. And after a drubbing, that's the first thing I wanted to see would be stand at that equipment room window and watch all the 85 or 100 kids come in and see what their body language is like and see who's pointing fingers and who's saying, man, I wish this crap was over with. We got five more weeks and this and that, you know, where are we? If he doesn't, if he has kids doing that, then you have an issue because if you go out against Missouri and you get beat 55 to 10, you got a huge problem. But if you go out, play competitively, competitively, like we should possibly win the game, like we could, then those three weeks are forgotten real fast. Because we all said, well, not not all of us, but most of us said, if we win a conference game and win four games this year, that's progress. And I feel that way myself. Oh, I I do too. Look, if if they pick anybody off in the conference, four wins is a really good season. I don't care what happened in the rest. It's just, to me, it's can you get over what just happened? And I don't know that he'll ever face – much tougher circumstances than what he's dealing with this week. You won't. You won't. I, it's that's a historic thing. That's as historic as Alabama getting eighteen penalties Saturday in Knoxville. It's never happened before. That you will not see a team have to play three top ten teams in a row again, especially when you're right in the midst of a rebuild, a total rebuild. <clears throat> you know, rebuilding at Vanderbilt is a lot different than rebuilding at. Say Tennessee. Look how much Tennessee has struggled. You know they had their 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 celebration Saturday after beating Alabama. Let's just compare that for a second. A mere four years ago, we were beating them like a drum. They were zero and eight in the league. It, it, it can change a lot quicker than you think. But at Vanderbilt, it takes a little more time than it does at a state school or a, a football school, so to speak. 
Well, and I think that has compounded things. What happened and what is happening in Knoxville, you see how quickly Tennessee not just got competitive in football, but Tennessee's in the running for the playoff. The baseball program up there has is really taken off. Uh, the basketball program has been really, really good. It's, you know, top 10, top 15 every year level good for the most part. And at the, see, that's the other thing. And I circled back with, with the source to make sure I understood this, that they had a legit shot at Danny White a few years back. And just, you know, in in, in typical Vandy being Vandy fashion, the, these are the guys that are good enough for us and these are guys that are not. And I think Danny White was on the doesn't-fit-Vandy list for whatever reason. And I just think that has exacerbated everything. I agree with you. I totally agree with you on that. We're in a five-year muck. And and also, let's talk about blind luck. Let's take the women's basketball program. What they did with with the the bad hire with Stephanie White, at the time, none of us, let's all be honest, we thought that may have been a good hire. But it was awful. Okay, so but look at them now. Look at the luck they've had. Three of their five starters are gone, and we haven't played a game yet. So what Shea Ralph is trying to do, and I think Shea Ralph is a good coach, it, look how it's set back already, and we haven't even thrown the ball out there yet. That, that's bad luck. I'm, that's all that is. I mean, how, what do you do there? You got nine scholarship athletes. And you haven't played a game yet. Yeah, I mean the, the white thing we could get into for different reasons. I mean they, the, the chatter on that immediately was that that was a political hire, and that's yeah. where they went and embraced it, and you got what you got. But anyway, um, yeah, I mean, and look, the men's has done the same thing too. The, you know, the, the the last time Vandy didn't have a, a key player hurt for half the season or more. I mean, that goes back into Kevin Stalling. So, yeah, there is an element of that that it's just like, man, are they going to catch a break again at some point? Uh, exactly. And that's part of it. That's why the, the, these last five years have been so frustrating because it's not just been football or basketball. It's been both the men's and women's programs and football. Yeah, well, and – yeah, I mean, it, it is. I mean, and, and just if you want to win a fun bar bet, uh, <laughs> the team that win, went winless in the SEC in basketball had the, the historic losing streak. Four guys off that team played minutes in NBA last year. And, and you could yeah. see a fifth in Simi Chateau. Um, yes. But anyway, back on track, let's just go ahead and grab the mailbag. Um, sure. The mailbag is sponsored by Sutherland and Belk, a family-owned injury law firm. If you or a loved one has been in an accident, give Taylor or Russell a call at 615-846-6200. See what your rights are and if they can help. Godors94 says, are you seeing progress this year? It's a bad time to ask that after the three weeks we just went through. Yes, Uh, it is. If you were to ask after week three, I would have said yes. You ask after all six combined, all I look at would be the wins and losses. We're three and three. I think when the season began, if I said, Chris, would you be happy to be three and three after your first six? Everybody on here would have said yes. So let's just look at it from that standpoint and say yes, because we're three and three. So after these next six, and I, hopefully you'll still want to have me on after today, 
we can discuss it because week by week it's going to matriculate and we'll see if there was progress made. Yeah, I think my answer before the season was something along the lines of I wanted to see like the, the sum of of games they won plus games they had a shot at to win midway through the fourth quarter, no matter how it turned out from there. I think I wanted that number to equal maybe five. So they're at three. And my question is, does what just happened drag them down enough to where they can't mentally pull off the the other two? I I would, my guess would be no, that it won't uh, just because I know Clark and I know him well. Now, I don't know some of his assistants well. I do know a lot of them well. Uh, they won't let it happen because a couple of them have been through it themselves, Norval McKenzie and Javon Hay, and they never quit. So they can pull from that. Um, the young kids are so resilient. Listen, they don't know what they had for lunch yesterday. So I'm not worried about the younger kids that play. It would be the guys that are seniors. Yeah. Raiders1967 says, thank you for dedicating your professional life to Vanderbilt Athletics. Can you give your impression of Coach Lee when you knew him as a player? Uh, yes. He, of course, everyone knows his story, so I won't get into that about him being a walk-on and all that. But Clark was a cerebral player, very smart, as you can imagine, very savvy, uh, big team guy. He'd do anything that, had, you know, that you had to do to win a football game on special teams or whatever he could. Limited in his ability. He was slow like I would be. <laughs> and uh, But Clark was a, a great kid, great teammate. This also from Raiders. What are former players you maintain contact, contact with telling you about their impression of the football program, including former player outreach? Well, I have so many players that go from come from different situations. I have friends that I talked to that were on those – uh, teams that beat Tennessee three in a row. And then I go back to the 70s, the teams that had success against Tennessee in 74, 75, like Dennis Harrison. Uh, I don't, uh, it, it runs the gamut, as you can expect. You got some that say, oh, I'm not coming back until we get better than this. This is unacceptable. And those are the ones that play when you're successful uh, of the six or seven years that we had what you call winning seasons. Uh, the guys that have, been through similar times that we're going through right now, they understand it a little better because they were there when it happened. So I, I just think you have a, a huge gamut of uh, different feelings, just like the, a fan base would be. You know, and let me get off just a little bit here. You know, and to me, the Vanderbilt fan, you got three different types that think, okay, if we go 1-11 and and beat Tennessee, that's a good season. If we go Five and seven, six and six, that's a good season. And then you have the unrealistic ones that think we got to go 10 or 11 wins every year. So those are the three fan bases. Players are the same way. There's not much difference there. Okay, Harley Hog 44. How long before Coach Clark Lee knows he needs to make a move for a new defensive coordinator? You know, I lived through this one with Woody Woodenhofer. Um, he was a little farther along in his career, I believe. But, you know, I, for some of you folks out there, you may remember Herb Patera, who he hired. As, he worked with the, the Detroit Lions and uh, hired him as a D coordinator. Herb was fantastic Monday through Friday, teaching them on the field. 
and I'm giving you my opinion, of course. I, I, I don't say I know everything, but I'm just showing you from all the times I've seen coaches. But on game day, it was too fast for him. When he was in the press box, it was too quick for him. On the sideline, didn't work because he needed to be upstairs where he could see what was going on. And uh, I think Woody, when he took the keys to defense, we had a chance to win. If Woody would have stayed the defensive coordinator and the head coach, he'd have been more successful than he was. Um, I don't think Clark's at that point yet. We'll know after Saturday. I think Saturday is a huge measuring stick for that defense. Okay, J2M says, Luke, I've heard you say James Franklin was a bad fit at Vandy despite his ability to turn the program around. The administration was tired of him. McGugan Center, of course, was tired of him, and he appeared to be frustrated with them as well. I think what Franklin did was leave the program with a blueprint of what it takes to win at Vanderbilt, which has been repeatedly ignored. That is, one, young, enthusiastic, offensive-minded coordinator. Two, connections in the coaching world to bring in high-quality recruiters and assistant coaches. Three, most importantly, a cocky salesman wanting to excuse me, willing to constantly be motivating and selling his vision to anyone who would listen and not take no for an answer. The last two hires have been opposite of the blueprint and the results speak for themselves. Do you know why Vanderbilt keeps ignoring what worked? Okay, let me, and maybe I was misquoted or I said something the wrong way to, to because here's my opinion on James Franklin. He was not going to be at Vanderbilt long, whether he won games or lost games. Uh, Dwight Dalton, he made the decision to come there from Maryland on a whim. At the last second, they were not coming. The last second, Dwight basically talked James into it, is my understanding. And when they came, he's like, we're going to go there, fix that place up, win quick, and get out of there and get the next best thing. And that's a problem you're going to have at a Vanderbilt. And not just Vanderbilt. We need to be more like a Northwestern where you get a Pat Fitzgerald. What am I moving toward? Clark Lee, Pat Fitzgerald. I, I think they're very similar situations. And I think that's the problem with James. He was a bad fit because even if he came in and won every game we played, he wasn't going to be there long. So if you just want short-term term success, he was your man. There's no question. But to put make the program a consistent five- to seven-win team, he was not the answer. David Williams also went all in on him like they, I don't think, have ever done with another coach. Is that fair to say? This is from me talking to you privately, but I I just want you to maybe share some things here that I know we've talked about off pod. Chris, I'm glad you brought that up because absolutely, James was given more than any two coaches, and I'm not exaggerating, that had been at Vanderbilt. He was given, and I'm talking about budget, my but just my little measly whatever it was budget for equipment at the time doubled or really became i say doubled it really became it doesn't matter spend what you need you tell me if you want it tell me if you need it we're going to spend it so that was totally different for me i mean i remember some coaches they were questioning how many paper clips and post-it notes they bought so that's how different it was with james franklin it was going to be a david williams this is my guy Give him anything and everything he wants. Yeah, how do, how does that flip on a on a dime like that? 
David just takes the heat if it doesn't work, and it was working, so he didn't have to take any heat because we were winning. He didn't get questioned on campus. If if now if James would have gone four and eight, uh, I'm not sure David would have survived that. He stuck his neck out for it. And, yeah, and, and then know, when and then when Gillette happened, it was done, right? Done. And Gillette happened. Listen, I was told on the way out the door, and I, I'm, I'm sure they were in the meetings when this was being discussed, told on the way out the door by coaches that left that came down to say goodbye to me, Luke, I'm sorry you're going to have to go through what you're going to have to go through after this. And they were speaking of they're getting ready to pull the rug out from under football. Yeah. Okay, uh, poor Vandy fan 615, after improved offensive output and the exciting comeback win on the road at Northern Illinois, I had hopes for Vandy to possibly sneak an SEC win against a Missouri or South Carolina and play Kentucky and Florida fairly close, all of which seems less likely today as a longtime fan. It was demoralizing watching the lopsided losses of the past three games. I can't imagine what it'll do what it was like for players and staff. Is there worry of the coaches and of the staff losing this team? How do coaches and staff keep players motivated after such tough consecutive losses at this point in the season? I think you'll simply see, like I said earlier, after Saturday. You know, that's just nothing I can answer right now because, as I mentioned earlier, I loved standing at that window after a horrible loss and watching the body language of kids as they came out to prepare because you could lose this Saturday on a Wednesday practice this week. And that's where it has to be Clark's job to make sure that doesn't happen. But we'll know here by uh, when we talk next Monday, we'll be able to speak to where we are for the final five games. Vandy Fitz says, do you think Lee in the eighties public mentions of a 10 year plan is a wise marketing tactic while it was certainly good to attract a coach, it seems like poison for ticket sales over the nine or ten years after Lee started. You know, I don't, I don't read much into that. I, I'll tell you this: if, ticket sales at Vanderbilt had been poor when they won. I can remember Coach Franklin when we were going to a bowl game, already a bowl game clinch, and we're getting ready to play the, the Wake Forest game after we'd beaten Tennessee. We look around, and there still wasn't a full stadium. And he's like, what do you got to do here? Luke, you've been here a long time. What what are we doing wrong? I said, you're doing nothing wrong. The fan base, number one, is small and getting smaller all the time. It has to be developed. How? I don't know. I don't have the answer to that. Obviously, winning, that's an easy answer. But I, I just feel like that you've got to somehow cultivate and get more fans in there and making it exciting. And win, the only way you do this is win games. It's that simple. So I don't think the 10-year thing, I don't read anything into that. I, I, he doesn't mean we're not going to have a winning season until year 10. I don't, I don't think he means that at all. But to have the program on solid ground is what he's saying, to where we're consistently – you go into a season expecting to go to a bowl or at least have a chance to go to a bowl your last couple of weeks. Okay, original Chidor, my question for Luke, how much has the job of kidding out a major college football team changed since the years you started manning the cage? What would a state-of-the-art equipment room look like? 
Well, it wouldn't look like what we got at Vanderbilt. I'll tell you that. <laughs> that they're actually the equipment room. The square footage is smaller than when I was there, which is mind-boggling. Um, they they store things in the stadium and that type of thing. Um, that's one of the things I fought for my last few years in Vanderbilt. And of course, I was shot down. Was hey, we got to have more space. This place is a junk pile because you didn't have. The shelving, uh, the floor had not been replaced. They replaced it right after I left. They did the things I asked for right after I left, which is typical. And, um, you know, it's just it, the helmets, of course, the technology in the helmets changes year to year. Um, there's just more of everything is the, the best way I can put it. The biggest change is more of everything. How did, how did the equipment room get smaller? When they did the renovations to the locker room, they rearranged the way the equipment room, excuse me, the equipment room is formed. In other words, the issue window and that type of thing has been moved. And then they're out in front of the equipment room in the hallway, there's like a, uh, um, gosh, words, where you get food. I, I'm, I'm forgetting the word here. Uh, Sessions. Where you can pick up, yes, right out in front of it, <clears throat> where you can pick up snacks and stuff like that for the guys and get their shakes and stuff like that so that took some of their space so that it's actually smaller wow yeah luke that that's it for the mailbag um any insight or comments or things we didn't get to today no i think we're all in the same you know swimming in the same water we're all sad that that we've had these three weeks we had to go through but I think if we look ourselves in the mirror and say, hey, we knew it was going to be bad, maybe not 55 to nothing bad and 55 to three bad, but we knew it was going to be bad. I think we're happy to get through it with, and I don't know this for sure, but fairly healthy um, so that the rest of your games, which whether we win them or play close or whatever it may be, you at least got a shot from that standpoint. And uh, I think having a kid, a freshman like A.J. Swan, on the uh, shot at quarterback, I, I really, really love that kid. I think he's he's got something different about him, and uh, I, I think you're going to see him have a big game Saturday. Yeah, I think that's the thing now because it, it's kind of gone from where there was a lot of excitement and things. I mean, I, I think you you lose to Alabama badly. You know, if that's a one-off thing, then people can kind of move past that and go on. But you, you had the, you know, just the defensive collapses three games in a row. And now once you get to that point, like all the other stuff starts coming back, right? And, and now it's like, well, you know, great. We'll we'll lose the, the quarterback and the transfer portal and our best receivers and those things. That's the kind of stuff I'm seeing on message boards right now. Like I literally thought about doing just a show in reading you comments off the message boards uh, and letting you react to them. And I know you see them too. You're on our site. Um, just time yeah. didn't allow me to get that together today, but that's kind of where Vanderbilt football fan brain goes when it goes like this. And I think that's the thing that's, that's disappointing. Like, man, I've, I've done, podcasts of bad sports for about eight years now other than baseball for the most part and and i think that was like man it was nice to have something else to talk about for a while um like we had the first few weeks and now it's like it just seems like 
that zapped everything out of everybody, and it just feels like it's 2019 again. Well, let's hope that's not the case. I don't think so. I I guess we differ because I just feel like the kids are more resilient than we think. Now, if we were a veteran team, if this was a bunch of juniors and seniors, I would I would be very concerned. But because they're young and you play a lot of young guys, I I don't think it's going to matter that much. I really don't. Yeah, well, well and, no. and you're probably you're probably. I'm just I'm just telling you what I see on my oh. board, and I'm I'm not on Twitter that much. So I don't know what was said there, but I know that this just took every bit of enthusiasm out of the fan base. Absolutely, and it and it doesn't surprise me that it did. I, it doesn't take it out of me, and and I guess maybe I had the luxury of being at Vanderbilt for forty years. And I've seen how they pulled themselves up at times out of the gutter and come back and play a great football game. You just don't – you have no idea until you're over there what these kids go through and how hard they work. And if you have enough of them that still feel like, man, I've worked too hard to go out like this, then you can come down this stretch and you can play six-foot football games. You're not going to play them all well but you may play one, two, or three of them really well and feel a lot better about yourself and about the program when we're said and done this year. Yeah, well, and, and let's not forget, what was it, in 2019, you know, Missouri was the last team they beat. This seems hard to believe. That came it came a week after the, the 34-10 to 10 debacle to UNLV, which was so bad it fired its coach after the year. Missouri was five and zero and ranked in the top twenty five. No, I hadn't played much of anybody, but like somehow that team, in the middle of that, and never did anything again after that. By the way, was able to rally from that to to, to be the top twenty five team. So it does happen. It does happen. Uh, You see it every you know all around the country. All right, Luke, thanks for joining us. We will talk to you next week after the Missouri game, uh, win, win or lose. And, and, and man, I, I hope that it gets better. It would be it would ni- be nice to go back to talking about progress again rather than, than being at this point. Well, I'll go ahead and stick my head out. I think it'll be better. I think like we'll be I'm – not, I'm not predicting we'll win, but I predict that we'll feel a lot better about things this time next week. Well, either way, we will talk about it. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Chris. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to today's episode. We thank our presenting sponsor, Jody Jones DDS. We thank our other sponsors, Sutherland and Belk and MyPerfectFranchise.net. If you're interested in sponsoring this podcast, and that's how we make this work, please email me at chrislee70 at gmail.com. We also ask that you subscribe to our website, vandysports.com. That is $99 a year. You get things there that you don't get here. And, of course, please rate, review, and subscribe where you see our podcast. That helps us get noticed. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at vandysports.com. Follow me at chrislee70. And finally, subscribe to our Vandy Sports YouTube channel as well. Thank you for listening to the Vandy Sports Podcast, which is part of the 440 Network. I'm your host, Chris Lee. We'll catch you with another episode coming very soon.